You are listening to the District Church Podcast. To learn more about us, find us online at districtchurch.org. We are continuing with the series on the book of Ephesians, uh, Alive uh, with Christ, and this is part one. Uh, we'll come into part two in January, and then we'll continue uh, from uh, there. And we're coming to the second last uh, uh, s- message in this uh, part of Ephesians. And I want to remind us that when Paul wrote uh, these letters, they were simply that, personal letters to the churches uh, uh, back then. He used to teach them to, uh, uh, you know, he'll use them to encourage them. He'll use them uh, to, to even just uh, bring about encari- uh, encouragement to himself. Uh, he used them to even ask for prayer. Uh, in, in these letters, you know, we see that he also used them to provide comfort, to offer encouragement uh, in many ways. Uh, but most importantly, he used these letters to uplift the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there were no chapters or verses that would separate uh, uh, these, uh, thing, these letters that he wrote. And we have to keep that in mind as we study so that we do not subconsciously leave all the thoughts of one chapter behind as we go on to the next uh, chapter, you know, uh, and miss the connections between these two. So it's important for us to understand that these uh, thoughts, you know, these teachings are connected, you know, they're as part of one letter, one thought process. Today, today we're in chapter three of Ephesians, and you'll see that this is part of Paul's ongoing prayer. His prayer and letter remind us of the bigger story where each Christian's life fits under. Our personal faith, our spiritual journey, our hope are all part of this larger narrative. And to understand our own lives and see God's work in us, we must fully embrace and celebrate this grand story. So as we sit in this story of Ephesians, we sit in this letter, it's important for us to be able to see how God is able to weave each of our stories into his larger story. In the previous chapters, Pastor Aaron has taught us that we witness how Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, brought down the barriers that divided the Jews and the Gentiles. You see, Jews were considered God's people. Gentiles were not. Uh, uh, Gentiles were considered as outcasts. They, they were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel. You know, they were foreigners. They were not considered as worthy people, uh, the Gentiles. They lived without God. They lived without the hope of God and the promises of God. You know, uh, uh, but we see in chapter 2 that Paul writes how Jesus Christ brought down the confines of the law with its commandments, with its regulation, and all these things were there to condemn the Gentiles. But now what he does is that he brings unity and, and, and peace between these two distinct groups, extinguishing the enmity that we see towards uh, each other. And he's forging a new people, reconciling them to God. And you and I know that we need this message today. Where the Lord can break down and extinguish the enmity that we continue to see across the world. And especially right now in the Middle East. And we need to be able to engage with this message and even to understand the grand story in the midst of all that is happening within our world. And so when you jump to Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 1, Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for this reason, for this grand plan, for what God is doing, what God has done and He's still doing, you know, reconciling His people to Him, for this grand plan that God is executing, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, 
You see, the thing that you need to understand is that Paul is in jail when he's writing this letter. He's, he's held in jail. He has been persecuted. And as you can see in his words, it is because of the assignment that God had given to him. Uh, 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 these words that Paul uses speaks profoundly of the maturity that Paul had in his faith with Christ. You know, Paul's perspective on his suffering was different. And I say it, is dif- it was different from what most of us get to experience, what you and I often feel whenever we encounter challenges in our lives. Depending on which part of the world you come from, you know, uh, depending on uh, your upbringing or even your current realities right now, you know, depending on where you are and the challenges that you're facing right now, uh, uh, you know, there are different ways that we have embraced suffering in our lives. In fact, this theology of suffering is one that many of us do not really embrace or do not really understand what it's about when we encounter it. Some of us believe we are somehow, whenever we go through challenges in our lives, we believe that we are displeasing towards God. You know, whenever you you see certain patterns in your life, you begin to see that, yes, I'm displeasing or I'm being punished for the past wrongs. We might think that, you know, uh, 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 if I'm where God wants me to be, then probably I shouldn't be going through what I'm going through right now. If I am doing what God has asked me to do, then why am I experiencing the pain and the suffering that I'm going through right now? I've often fall under the category of whenever I see something bad happen in my life, I begin to evaluate the, my, my, my recent past to see whether there are certain things that I have done that warrant the, 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 the punishment that I'm going through right now. And I know many of us, sometimes we experience that. When you go through a difficult season in your life, you begin to evaluate and see, you know, have I done something wrong that causes me to experience what I'm experiencing right now? Some of us even believe that God is punishing us for the wrongdoing in our lives. And whereas, you know, and, and for some of us, you know, it, it's purely as a result of the choices that we make. Yes, we do admit that sometimes we just make bad choices and choices have consequences. But another common view among Christians is a sort of resignation to suffering. And this is what I mean by this. We accept it as an unfortunate part of life. When you go through suffering, you accept that this is just something that is an unfortunate part of life. And, 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 and you know, you, we say things like, you know, God is in heaven and he will do whatever pleases him. And, and, you know, I'll probably just endure, you know, this is part of the faith journey, I'll endure. And hopefully, you know, when I get to heaven, the Lord will reward my perseverance. There's a certain resignation that we have towards that. And life is just unfair. But what I want us to do is to grasp how Paul saw his life's circumstances. You can see it in how he addresses himself in this letter. Now, he could have said, I, Paul, the prisoner of Rome. Because remember, he's in Rome. He could have said that. I, Paul. But he saw himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He was in chains because Christ Jesus allowed for him to be there. There's a profound contentment. In Paul's circumstances, chained to a Roman prison wall while he's writing this letter to the church. Why? Because he knew to whom he belonged. And he understood that his master had the authority to place him exactly where he needed him to be. His spiritual life in Christ, because he also knows that the master, if he wanted him out of jail, he can get him out of jail. He can break the chains. So Paul understood that his spiritual life in Christ mattered far more to him than his outward circumstances and even his environment. 
So now he regarded himself as a prisoner by the will of the master. And I say this to us, our circumstances should inspire submission to God's will. Whenever we go through difficult seasons, especially difficult seasons, they should inspire our submission to God's will. Because we see this in Paul's life. Was it hard for Paul to be in prison after all he had gone through? Because this is towards the end of his life. And I suggest to us it must have been difficult. I'm pretty sure that it was. But you know what we see in this chapter is that amid a difficult situation, he responded by submitting himself to God's will. And knowing that, I want to encourage you right now, if you can reflect on your current circumstances, it, it could be a health issue that you're going through right now. It could be a financial burden that you have right now. I want you to reflect on the, 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 the recent uh, 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 grief or maybe even an impending loss uh, uh, of a loved one or, or something. Reflect on that. Reflect on the pain that you're going through right now and, and ask yourself this question. Am I willing to acknowledge that as a follower of Jesus Christ, and this is specifically for those who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ and we believe in that, that I am precisely where God would like for me to be today and that my life circumstances are entirely under his control amid all of the pain, all of the struggles and challenges that I'm going through right now. Can you confidently declare, I am not a prisoner of my circumstances. I am not a prisoner of my pain. I am not a prisoner of my grief. I am not a prisoner of my uncertain future, but I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Can you confidently declare that? Because maybe some of us can. But there's a majority of us who probably will say, maybe not. I'm not sure that yet I can say that I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ amid my pain. The question is, what will you do on a daily basis so that we can achieve the, life, the kind of maturity that Paul showcases for us in this uh, passage? What do you need to do on a daily basis so that we can get to that level of maturity in Christ Jesus? Paul did not see his imprisonment as a hindrance to his assignment. He sees it as part of God's grand plan to reconcile the Gentiles to himself, breaking down barriers, making us one new people and granting us access to his presence. Many of the times that we go through difficult situations and we begin to wonder whether we are still in God's plan or this is part of God's plan. I know that there are many of us right now across the world are asking, is God still in control? Is God's plan still being executed as we are here? May God help us to have faith that is not swayed by our emotions, but that is steadfast like Paul's. That is verse 1 of uh, uh, you know, Ephesians chapter 3. And, and then Paul then pivots from his prayer and he begins to elaborate his ministry to the Gentiles. He assumes that his readers are aware of the assignment that God had given to him. You know, and so this was the assignment that was given to him by God. And when you jump to verse 2, he says this. Uh, okay, so for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given uh, to me. You know, and then it continues, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, 
and share us together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I want to begin by just unpacking what this ministry, mystery is. Because when you look at verse 6, what happens here is that Paul mentions the word together. He uses the word together three times. And this should highlight for us the emphasis of the unity that is meant to come. And once a once divided people by hostility are being brought together through the, faith, the, the, the powerful thing that Christ did on the cross. There's an emphasis of unity between these two groups. Now, when you talk about mystery, a mystery is, is something that is not easily understood, you know, uh, 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 or explained, often because it involves a complex or even hidden elements. We all know uh, what the definition of mystery is. And in the context of our conversation, it represents a profound truth or concept that transcends just mere human uh, comprehension. This mystery requires faith and belief in God for us to fully grasp it. The mystery that uh, Paul is talking about here, the fact that the Gentiles and the Jews could become one, that they could partake of the same promises in that context, in that time. There is no human mind that could figure that on their own. Let me help us understand. You see, William Barclay quotes this. He says this, Jews had immense contempt for the Gentiles. The Gentiles said the Jews were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. Any contact with a person of the other group, it means that, you know what, you are done. We don't want any association with you. There was no way that these two groups would have come together apart from Christ. But through the power of the gospel, the Gentiles have become part of God's family and share in the promises of God just like Israel. Through the gospel, they inherit the blessings and the promises of God together. Through the gospel, both Gentiles and Jews are seen as part of the same spiritual body. People who could not see themselves eye to eye, that you had to take the longer route to get to the other side because you didn't want to go through the same area where the other group was in. They are now working together through the gospel under the, under the leadership of Christ. Through the gospel, all believers, whether Gentile or Jew, share in the promises made by God through Jesus. These promises include salvation, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. That through the gospel, they get to be partakers of God's promises for one another. The mystery of God reveals this wonderful truth that people of all backgrounds, whether Gentile or Jewish, can be a part of God's family, united as one in Christ and share in the blessings and promises of God. It's a message of inclusion and unity in the faith. And what a powerful message this would have been for them. Because for many times, for many years, the Gentiles had not these promises. They didn't have the promises of God. And this remains true for us to date. That in spite of my sin, he still invites me in. It remains true for us today in spite of my race, in spite of my culture, in spite of my nationality, political backgrounds, whether you are extreme right or extreme left, in spite of all these things, the mystery is that we can all find our life in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And we can all be members together of one body. 
We can all be sharers together in the promises of Christ Jesus. That is the full gospel that we preach here at the district church. I want to talk about grace in a minute, but I want you to see something. And because when you go back to verse 3, this is now you begin to understand why Paul would say that this had to come through revelation. You know, because no human mind on its own could have fathomed these two groups coming together. And for some of us, maybe this might be so far-fetched because we're like, okay, I don't really understand the enmity and feel it right more. You know, and you can begin even to think about some of the things that are happening across the world and begin to see the enmity in different groups and begin to understand that, yes, God can do something to break down the barriers that are holding these people apart from one another. Because no human mind could have fathomed this. The plans that God intends for his people. We're even told the earlier apostles hadn't been entirely clear in their stance on whether the Gentiles should have been included in the same family with the Jews. Even after spending so much time with Jesus Christ, they still didn't, were not sure about this thing. And so it needed to come under, uh, through revelation. They probably still had their doubts in believing that Gentiles are now included in the same household. For Paul, when you read about Paul, it was a revelation in a unique way. He used to be a devout Jew, and it required a revelation for God to change his perspective. On his way to Damascus during his conversion, and you'll find this in Acts chapter 9, on his way to Damascus, there had to be a revelation for him to be able to see. He had to turn. There was a transformation in his thinking. He was stunned to see Jesus whom he had persecuted as the Christ, the Son of God, as the only Savior. There was a transformation in his thinking. How I pray, district church, that we shall be a people that are led by revelation from God and not just mere human knowledge. How I pray that we shall be a people who will walk in revelation and not just depending on what our internet says or what other people say, but we shall be a people who are walking in revelation. Because we see the Lord still executing his plan through the church. If ever there was a season that we needed God's revelation, it is now. If ever there was a season that you needed revelation for your family, it is now. And I pray that we shall discern and desire God's revelation for every area of our lives. Paul talks about grace in verse 2. But he also talks about grace further down in verse 7. To, to talk about the assignment given to him by God. Now, whenever I think about grace, I think about this profound expression of his love and, and mercy towards people. God's grace has been famously de de defined. What's the famous definition that we all know of grace? Just shout it out. Unmerited favor. Any other word that we've used? Say that again. Mercy. What other, what other definition of grace have you? You don't have to go on Google or ask ChatGPT. <laughs> just, 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 just shout it out. What other definition have you had? Getting what you don't? Getting what you don't deserve. I mean, all these are definitions of grace that we know, undeserved. This means that you haven't earned or don't deserve, duh, based on your actions or merit. It's, it's a gift or, or a blessing to you with no particular reason apart from the giver's kindness and generosity. It's also been used as, I, I mean, we've also used the word favor or the term favor to, to define grace. Favor in this context refers to an expression of, of love, of blessing, of goodwill di directed towards you. 
it's a sign of someone's kindness towards you or just desire for well-being. You see, I, I might ask Pastor Aaron to bless me with $100. Is that grace? Is it grace if he gives me $100? Okay, you guys don't seem like you're sure. It could be. It could be. But I've asked him. I can hustle him. I, can, I was trying to hustle him this morning because I wanted money. Uh, uh, and I can hustle him and ask him, give me $100, you know, and maybe the Lord is speaking through you. Maybe the Lord should be speaking through you. Maybe you're not listening to the Lord. You need to bless me with $100, right? But, but is that grace? Because I'm asking for it. That's not grace. But grace can be, you know what? Let me look for how much money I have in my, my pocket. Uh, $40, all right? And I can just choose... Can I choose someone to bless? I will just close my eyes. There you go. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome that I don't have, you don't even have to, let me go back to the light. You don't have to, I'm dark, so I need to be in the light. Now, if you don't need it, you can choose to bless someone with it, by the way. Uh, uh, so if you don't need it, you can just bless someone with it. Isn't that awesome that you can just be blessed with no reason? That someone, just out of the kindness and the generosity of someone, they just decide to bless you today. That if someone just walked up to you, you know what, maybe that's, that's your lunch money for today, and I pray that that blesses you. And, and that's profound when you think about the generosity and kindness of God towards us, that, that, that it's available towards us. But here's something that I want us to understand even as we uh, try and figure out and wrestle with the definition of grace because we've used different terms. And it's this. We need to understand that our language is limited in fully explaining or defining what the grace of God really means. Uh, 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 and so whenever we use such words to explain what grace means, we need to understand that God is not confined within the bounds of those definitions. And, and, and when we read God's word, when we read the Bible, we need to be careful that we don't limit God's character to our definitions. Because our God goes beyond and above. You know, sometimes, you know, my, my human mind fails me Time even fails us to be able to dig deeper into really what God's grace means for us. That's the profoundness of God's grace towards you and I today. Sometimes we can limit it to just think that, you know what, it's just what he gives me. But it goes far beyond that. And that grace, that boundless grace that no mind can even fathom, that no mind can even figure out is extended to us today. We are here today not because we deserve, but out of God's boundless love. Kindness and generosity. I don't expect the money back, by the way. We can never work to earn grace. Grace is even what inclines God to give gifts that are free and undeserved by sinners. It signifies his love. It signifies his blessings and forgiveness towards us. And that is what Paul had been entrusted to extend to the Gentiles. Because those who are considered as outcasts, those who are considered as not deserving, God is saying through Paul, they are mine. I love them. 
I care about them. They are worthy. They are, my love for them is available. My mercy is available. My kindness is available for them. And that same grace is extended to all of us. God is saying that, yes, they've been told that they are not, but they are. Romans 3.22 says there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Another verse that I really love, Romans 5.15, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. We live in a, we are saved by works culture. Did you, did you get that? That's the culture we live in. We live in a, we are saved by works culture. Our culture propagates that the harder you work, the better the reward. Right? The more blood and sweat you put in, the more you feel like you belong. It's a performance culture. That's the culture that we live in. And so every day we rise and we are seeking validation consciously or even unconsciously through what we do and even how hard we work. And that's why many of us, we don't even know how to rest. Because when you rest, you even feel guilty because you feel like you're losing your place. And so we rise up every day and we work harder and harder. Even in relationships, relationships have become about performance and what we do and what we haven't done, and we are always gauging and evaluating ourselves based on the things that we haven't done or the things that we have done. We go for the promotion. We go for the next job. We pursue degrees after degrees, and these things are not bad in and of themselves. But, in fact, one of the things that you find later on is that even Paul says that he worked harder than most of the apostles. Uh, uh, but when we interrogate Father, when we interrogate our motivations keenly, we might find that they are rooted in insecurities. They are rooted in our own fears and misunderstanding of our identity in Christ. And so we are always trying to rise up every morning and we're trying to find this identity and this validation because we don't know who we are. And the result is that we're beginning to see even that sip in the church. It seeps into our faith journey where we start doing things to validate our sense of belonging, our sense of identity, or even faith and salvation. A few examples, you know, we begin to come to church, not because we really want to be part of the community, but because we feel guilty if we don't. Uh, sometimes we, 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 we read the Bible as a task. I know there are times when you just need to read it so that you can get into the habit of it. But when that is consistent, that's a rhythm that you've established, that you consistently just read the Bible as a task to check off a, a, a box. You pray because you just want to check off a box. It's become mechanical. It's not about the relationship that you have with God. And it's because we are, we are seeking for the wrong things. God's administration of grace came through Jesus Christ first. Those who are outside of God are welcome and can now find their lives in Christ Jesus. You see, it doesn't matter where you have been or where you have come from and what you have done. He loves you because he does. Not because of what you have done or what you will do. But, but you can only understand this if you choose to believe. God loves you because he does. He loves you. 
And I pray for the revelation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. May the Holy Spirit help you to embrace this fundamental truth in your faith journey. Don't try and seek for identity in other things. The Lord's grace is abundant for you. Believe it or not, you are part of his plan. He sent his son Jesus Christ for you. He established the church for you. He has given me the grace to bring this message to you today. The question is, will you choose this day to believe? God's plan has been executed, but there's also another aspect of grace that I want us to see in verse 7. It says this, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, and Paul says this often. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles. Next uh, verse. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. You see, I believe that grace is not just an unmerited favor, something that I just receive. I also believe it's an act of God that works in us to transform and strengthen us to accomplish his will here on earth. There's something powerful about grace. Paul did not consider himself worthy to be a preacher of God's word because he had once persecuted others who were doing what now he was called to do. So he didn't consider himself worthy, but God's grace transformed him completely, making him a new person in Christ, appointing him as his servant of Christ for spreading his gospel, especially among the Gentiles and inactive and in the power of God. The work he was called to do required more than just human strength. It required more than human patience. It required more than human endurance. It demanded the divine power of God. And I believe that even though, even when he was in prison, Paul knew that it was God's grace that will sustain him through his time in prison until his death. Hence his confidence in continuing God's work even behind bars. Grace is not just available to us. I say to us, grace also changes us. First Corinthians reads this, chapter 15, verse 9. For I am the least, again, he says this, for I am the least uh, of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. The grace that saves also changes us. Paul gave the grace of God all the credit for the change in his life. In fact, what you see when you read through the, the letters of Paul, you'll see that two-thirds of all the uses of the word grace in the New Testament were in Paul's writing. In fact, he's been nicknamed often that he's the apostle of grace. He was a changed man. Why does he use grace often? Because he was forgiven. He was cleansed and full of love. When, well, love rather, when he used to be full of hate. And we see this, he knew this was not just his own accomplishment, but it was the work of the grace of God in him. The grace that saves also changes us. You see, often we've been asked this question, if God accepts me in my sinful nature, can I keep doing what I'm doing and he will still accept me when I come to him? And I say no. Come as you are, but you don't remain as you are. 
You can come as you are, but you can't remain as you are because you cannot receive the grace of God without being changed by it to live a life that is worthy of his calling and free from sin. There is no way that you can have the grace of God and it doesn't transform you. The changes may not come all at once, but they will come eventually. A few other examples, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient. Paul is praying for healing. He's asking God to heal him and remove the thorn in his flesh. But God responds to him and says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Another one in 2 Corinthians, again, these are all Paul's letters, you know, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. His grace empowers us to be able to do more than even, or even accomplish the tasks that he has for us. You see, this is what I love about God's grace. It is this favor that overflows that we get to receive and helps me every day to accomplish what he needs me to do. That I stand here not because I am the best, not because I'm the most educated or the most eloquent, but I stand here because it is God's grace that allows me to be able to bring his word. And when the, 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 the words that come to, when I, to my name for me is boundless love and sufficient help. That when I sit in that promise of knowing that his love is boundless towards me, that I can be able to receive his boundless love. Many of us have never even get to, gotten to experience that kind of love and sufficient help that it doesn't matter what you're facing today. It doesn't matter what you're facing tomorrow. You know that his help will be sufficient. And we need to sit in that promise. We need to sit in that assurance. In fact, for some of us, we just probably need to take a long breath in. Just breathe in and know that his boundless love is available for you. And that his sufficient help is there for you. As long as you're living in accordance to his will and he's guiding, guiding you and he's called you and you're aligned to that, God will help you to accomplish the tasks that he has for you. Many of the times that I get caught up in, God, you've called us here. I don't know how we're going to accomplish the mission. And God reminds me when I read passages like this, I got you. I got you. I have sufficient help for you. In fact, can I ask you just to take a long breath in? Just breathe in and then breathe out. Can I ask you just to even put your, put your, put your hands on, on, on your, what are these things called? Thighs. And just sit up. Because you are usually so sometimes even tense. Even the way we sit in church is like we're about to go. Just relax. In fact, just turn to your neighbor and just tell them, just relax. Just, just take a long breath in and then out. Let's do this again. Just a long breath in and out. One last time, long breath in and out. God's love is available to you. His grace is sufficient. His help is sufficient for you. And he's here and he's present with us today. Let me say two things about grace. God's grace has a high invitation. His boundless love invites all of us to come to him. If, if you are not saved, 
If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I pray that you will hear this message today and accept to believe. Will you say yes to him? Romans 10, 9 say, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by your, with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Will you choose to believe in your heart and proclaim that you believe today? There's a high invitation. Will you choose to believe in your heart today? And for those of us who believe already, I pray that this word even just reminds you of God's grand plan. Because God's grace also has a high challenge. As we experience God's grace, it is my belief that he doesn't want us to be passive Christians. Where we're just waiting for the day we'll get to heaven. It is his intent that we make known this good news to the whole world. And you'll read that in verse, uh, verse 10. I don't even want to uh, read that, but you'll read that in verse 10. You know, his intent uh, uh, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authority. This passage right here reminds us that we are called for something that is far much greater than just our salvation as we patiently wait for the coming back of Jesus. And, and most importantly, the purpose of the church in revealing God's wisdom to the principalities and powers of this world. Friends, we are the means that God chooses to use to showcase his power and might. God's grand plan for the church, you and I, extends far beyond the present moment. It was there before we existed and it will outlive us long after we are gone. This gospel is a message that needs to be shared with all people of all nations beginning where we are. This message of grace is one that, yes, he wants to see that through the church, his intent that through the church, that his manifold wisdom will be made known. And in two weeks, we start a new series titled Mission Possible. And I want to go deeper into this conversation, highlighting even the great commission that is our assignment. The significance of the body of Christ is that the church is central to God's grand plan. This is the conviction that we have and this is the conviction that as pastors we have. And this is why we will choose to give our lives to the church. It is because we believe that the church is central to God's plan. The reason why we invite all of you to be a part of what God is doing here in D.C. and across the world is because we believe that through God's word and we found, and you can find this even in scripture, is that we are central to his plan. The conviction is that God will use the church to bring about the kingdom. And that's why we need as many of you as possible, even those of us who are probably questioning and wondering, do I need to be part of the church? And I'm saying that, yes, this is the hope of the world. You and I, not the building, you and I, that when we come under the Lordship of Christ, and that's why it's also important for God to see unity amongst Christians. 
that there'll be unity amongst us regardless of our background and where we come from. Paul was called by God to help the Gentiles understand and respond to this message, to make plain what God had been doing behind the scenes all along. You and I play a significant role in the church in this world. You are part of that plan. And we must make known to all in the world the redemptive plan and the actions of the Almighty God through Jesus Christ. You and I reveal aspects of God's incredible wisdom that they would, wouldn't otherwise understand. And when I read passages like this, I am reminded that God operates according to a meticulously crafted plan And every single day we are witnessing the unfolding of this divine design. And this reflects God's unchanging and eternal will, showing His consistent intention to unite all of us into His divine plan. As I call us to pray, I want to remind us that this is not a recent idea. This is not that something that came up. It was God's intention from the beginning of time. It's not some accommodations to circumstances or a temporary adjustment. The grave that saves also changes. I want to invite us into a time of prayer. Because what you see is that Paul transitions back, and we'll come back into this next week. He transitions back into his prayer from these profound thoughts. In verse 12 and 13, in Christ we discover not just freedom, but a profound confidence in our access to Him. So as we come to pray, it is my hope that you have been reminded of God's grace towards you. You have been reminded of the mystery that has been made known to us. That's no longer a mystery. Now we know that Christ died on the cross for you and I. And today we have life in abundance afforded to us because of what happened many years ago. This is an invitation for us to have a confidence in accessing Christ and the things that He's doing. It's an intimate connection with God. And as we pray, maybe you're there and for you, you've never said yes to Jesus. This is a great opportunity for you to be able to say, yes, I believe. Because all you need to do is just profess with your mouth and say, I believe. I believe. I believe that, yes, he died for me. I believe that he died. I want to invite you that if this is you, that you can be able to declare that word right now, that, yes, God, I believe. I believe that you died for me. Don't continue living life because this grace is is available for you. It is available for you. But then secondly, and if you've said that, our prayer team is going to be here in a few minutes. And if you've said that, I would like you to step up and just pray with one of our prayer team, uh, our prayer counselors, and they would love to stand with you and, and just celebrate with you even as you've made this decision because this is a powerful decision and choice that you're making today. But maybe you're here and for you, it's a reminder of what God is doing, that you are part of that plan. And so I'm going to invite us to rise to our feet. And the prayer that I want to make over you today is that may, may God move us into a place of action, that this is not just a place where we live and be passive, but we can be able to understand 
that God has called us to also advance his kingdom, that his grace is available to make known what he is doing in us and even through us. And so, Lord, we surrender to you. Paul implores us never to lose heart in the face of trials. He asks his audience to not become discouraged by his own sufferings. And that's a great reminder that God's plan is still being executed. May we not be discouraged by the current happenings in our world or the current happenings in your life right now. May you not be discouraged by you not seeing progress in your life, but may you be encouraged that God's plan is still getting executed and that you're part of that plan. So would we be able to say, yes, God, I am available. Would you use me today? God, would you continue to use me and remind me of the greater plans that you are accomplishing through me, God? We've often prayed here at the district church that yes, God is doing something great in us and through us. And so Lord, we avail ourselves today. And so would you just raise up a, a prayer for yourself and just say, God, use me. God, would you just give me clarity on how you want me to continue serving you and living for you. Say something to God and just say, God, I avail myself to you. I surrender to you. And as we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to just come forward. And if you need to pray with one of our prayer counselors, maybe you just need to respond through this with this song. May you surrender all to God and just lift up a praise to Him even as you worship Him in this place today. And if you're in need of just prayer with one of our prayer counselors, come forward. would love to stand with you. May this not just be another word that passes on, but may it bring about conviction and aspiring towards what God wants for you and even through you. And as we receive, He will receive the glory.